and welcome to The Blueprint Lifestyle Design Podcast. Unpacking and applying creative design principles to help you live your maximized life. And now, ready to help you design and build your ultimate awesome future, here's your host, Andrew Lord. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Blueprint. Andrew Lord here with you and today we're chatting with Josh Moses, who is the Marketing Manager for Hoistline Tiny Homes here in Port Macquarie. They're an amazing business doing great things. We'll talk about them shortly, but Josh's journey has been much bigger than that. Josh grew up in the US, but settled here in Australia after completing his postgrad studies. And he's driven by making an impact. He uses his creative talents to do that. And today we're gonna to find out where that passion comes from, all the steps he's taken along the way and what's coming next. So Josh, welcome to The Blueprint. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. No problem. Now, Josh, I think the first time I met you was at the Luminosity Youth Summit. And back then, I didn't realize how much we had in common and how our paths would cross in other ways. But uh, I recall you described your family as a group of high achievers. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not high achievers in the sense that they're going to go down in the history books, but high achievers in that... Uh, yeah, they were very, very hard workers, driven, and sort of the typical story of migrant families mm. uh, came from nothing and made quite a bit of something of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about your mom, your dad, your brother. Yeah. So uh, dad moved over to the States in the 70s. Um, in his family tradition, being the eldest, you look after everyone else in your family sort of your key responsibility of that traditional style of raising in South India. And so uh, he came over, worked while um, getting his bachelor's degree. Uh, he took up plumbing back then. You didn't need trade certificates and things like that in the States. Uh, so he was a plumber and installed flooring and um, put himself through uni, but then also brought over his brother and two sisters as well from India, sponsored them. Um, and he started up a business after working as a nursing home administrator for quite some time. Uh, started up a business in elderly care and, and aged care. And uh, yeah, so the family started doing work for that, but then went on to do other work. Um, he went on to growing the business at its peak was just over 300 employees. Went from strength to strength. Now he's back in India. Um, he's just recently started a hospital there so a multi-floor hospital there the first floor has just started seeing patients um but it's in rural india so it's sort of taking it back to his roots uh which he'd always wanted to do because uh, mm. access to healthcare is a big uh, challenge for a lot of places in regional india um, mm. transport's getting better but obviously having a quick access for these sort of things is good so he's sort of fulfilling a lifelong dream there my mom um Obviously, my dad moved to the States and then went back to marry my mom uh, okay. and not an arranged marriage as people would, would think. <laughs> it was a marriage of love. So you uh, had to go back and win her over with his credentials. <laughs> um, but she came over and she studied as a nurse. Uh, but shortly after my brother was born, she joined the military. Uh, so she was in the United States military for yeah, just over 30 years. Um, she did a, a long tour in Iraq and two tours based in Germany for the Iraq incursion uh, in 91 and then in 2003 um, in Afghanistan. 
Um, but then as well has done little smaller tours in Haiti after the earthquakes from a long time back. Um, yeah, different things throughout Central Central America and yeah, and so they, they were very, very uh, hardworking uh, mm. family. My brother, older brother was a, is a, is a doctor of sports medicine, mm. um, sort of specialized in physiotherapy um, and uh, with a specialization in, in sports injuries. Um, mm. So yeah, and I, I'm the black sheep that aimed to just be creative and <laughs> trying to make a living out of that. <laughs> well, you know, you describe them as as hardworking. I'd also describe them as heroic in that they've got that other centeredness uh, about them, and I think that's something that you you do have. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, uh, you know the work that you've done with Asian Aid in the past, and and you know you know, bring Tammy into the story if, if you want to hear. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, back when my wife and, well, at the time she was my girlfriend, uh, we lived in Sydney um, and we were both working uh, in, in different jobs, but both of us enjoyed spending our time volunteering where we could. Uh, so we volunteered at least once or twice a month to go down into uh, kitchens in, in Redfern and, and help prepare meals for some of the families struggling there or, um, yeah, going out to the juvenile detention centers in Emu Plains. Uh, How old were you then? Probably 23, 24, I think. So you're at uni kind of? Yeah, yeah. We just finished uni. So it was shortly, uh, shortly after finishing uni. Actually, pretty much from for Tammy, it was just after finishing uni. But she's volunteered her whole life. And, and I had done a little bit before. Um, she did humanities. She studied in humanities. So her goal was always to get some sort of international um, posting and mm. the opportunity came up with Asian aid, uh, to head over to Nepal. And, uh, so we got married and a month after we got married, we shipped off to Nepal. We, I mean, it, it sounds very romantic. I think in hindsight, we both regret having sold everything, but we sold everything we had <laughs> and went over there with, with basically our backpacks. Uh, and, um, so that ended up being just over two years that ended up being over two years and we got to work in India and Bangladesh as well. So we, we lived in India and Nepal and we traveled a fair bit throughout Bangladesh. So um, a lot of adventures you must have had. Is, have you got any, um, you know, favorite stories from your time overseas? Yeah, well, I mean, both my wife and I fell in love with Nepal quite heavily. It's, it's, it's to this day, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And not just because of Mount Everest or anything like that. I think it's just it's just very different in it. And even though you can access a lot of the modern technology or, or comforts, um, it still has very much a lot of grounding in the old world in terms mm. of tradition and depth. Whereas, and I, I think it's a little bit still far reaching to say that it's modern compared to India. Whereas in India, you can get anything as modern as you like. So Nepal just has this old world sense about it, you know? Um, but yeah, in terms of stories, uh, yeah, I mean, like we we went on a 120 kilometer journey into the the foothills of the Himalayas, so like well before you get into the ice and snow, um, and 120 kilometers took around six hours drive, <laughs> just because of the terrain. Um, and it was beautiful weather all day. Going out, we were going out to visit a village where we were taking doctors out to do women's health checkups, which is one of the projects my wife was working on at the time. And um, 
on the way back, it was starting to get dark. And it had been, yeah, as I said, it was beautiful weather all day. And out of nowhere, this evening squall came and just absolutely, you know, heaviest rainfall you can imagine. It was that, you know. And, um, yeah, we had a few scary moments coming down in the complete dark because their headlights are not bright. There's no spotties. It's complete dirt road and everything turned to mush. And you can sort of feel the truck sliding towards the edges of these no non-roads. Don't know what we were driving on, but, yeah, <laughs> it was, for me it was exciting. <laughs> but I think for a lot of us in the van it was a bit stressful. But for us it's an adventure, right? And like, Yeah, yeah. It was good fun. We made it back and the doctors went on to continue seeing patients again after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's really cool. Um, a lot of people I know that listen to this podcast um, have ideas that they would like to go out and do something. You know, they have that concept in mind that they want to make a difference in some way. They may be not sure about how to go about doing that. You know, if you were to offer some advice mm. from your experience, what what would you say to those people? I, I think my answer would differ based on 2012 Joshua Moses and 2021. Mm. Uh, in 2012, it would be a lot more fanciful and flippant and just to say, throw yourself at, at something, mm. um, at anything, at any volunteer opportunity that comes about, because obviously it's going to yield good results. Uh, now that I'm a father, and, and I say that confidently, like obviously it will yield good results. I think I'm fairly confident in saying that if you give of your time or invest your time into benefiting the life of someone else, the dividends will come. Uh, yes. But in saying that, now in 2021, after being a father of two, going through a bit of a, this pandemic and um, managing family finance and growth and development of our family unit, I would say focus on tangible impact and so like this year i made the the well last year I, I, uh, before i moved over to my current job um i was working in the wine industry and lost half of my income essentially with covid and so as a result i didn't realize until the end of the year i'd stopped donating to charity hmm. and so i wasn't giving of my finance to a better cause and so this year i said, oh, I want to do something, but I need to manage my finance. So maybe I can give of my time. Hmm. And, you know, I just went about finding a way that you could, that I could give back tangibly something that is measurable, um, but didn't, in this sense, didn't necessarily involve money. I was hmm. just giving my time. So, you know, I volunteer with Oz Harvest now, which is great. I do the um, food rescue driving. And um, yeah, and I think that would be my 2021 advice is to make it tangible, make it mm. something feasible so that it doesn't, so that it's not a one-time interaction. I think a lot of the problem with, and a lot of the challenges in the volunteer framework is that people will volunteer once. And I think the volunteer framework needs that con con that continuity. Mm. And the older generations do this so well. I think in our generation, Andrew, uh, you and myself, or even younger, um, we're, we were brought up in an age where everything in our society is change, 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 change. Mm -hmm. um, and so continuity then has this value that you can't put a dollar on, you know, mm -hmm. um, loyalty and things like that. Um, so, yeah, make it realistic so that you can volunteer and create a long impact rather than short and abrupt. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I was just thinking about it before you said it, you know, change is something that we've had to adapt to mm. a lot lately. And so, um, you know, being able to just, uh, I, I love what you said there first. I heard someone else say that um, this morning, you know, just put yourself out there and and um, have a go at something and make, give it, take a tiny step and uh, and see what happens. I, I still think that's good advice, but also, uh, the other aspect of figuring out how you're going to make tangible changes is really smart. Um, and I like what you said about, um, you know, you, you're working with Oz Harvest, so you're, you're focusing on a, um, a community. Sometimes I feel like, uh, people feel that they have to, you know, travel to Asia or, or you know, travel mm. to Africa to kind of have, you know, a big impact, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can really, um, find need here in in your local backyard and, and in your local community and and take steps in that way can't you absolutely absolutely i mean and i think from a younger person's perspective it's definitely not as as sexy like people you know want the the <laughs> international trip i'm going to do good and i'm jumping on the plane to cross the threshold and get my passport stamped yeah. but then your local op shop has been in need for ages to supply you know new mums with baby clothes Mm. And that you didn't have to jump on a plane for. Yeah. And it's changing your perspective on what we consider worthwhile provision of, of time and, and, and effort, mm. you know, because both of them are just as necessary. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Thanks, Josh. Um, I love talking to people in marketing because I think essentially marketers and educators, we have a lot in common. Uh, we both tell stories. We both take people uh, on a journey, we both create experiences uh, for people. Uh, and this podcast is all about how we can scale impact through education. But I use that term education, you know, really broadly in, an, in inverted commas, mm -hmm. um, because uh, education, it really just is about connecting with life. And I think marketing um, is about that it's about taking people on a journey for change you know w what does education slash marketing mean from um from your point of view yeah i mean uh, i really like the question because i admittedly i'm a very passionate alumni of university of newcastle where i studied um i get involved in a lot of the alumni networking and things like that but the, the very same token I struggle with a lot of modern academia in that we learn a lot of things that necessarily the person doesn't, isn't best suited for. Yeah. And for me, my, my postgraduate study, and I mean, even into high school, I don't, I didn't realize it then, but looking back on it now, definitely was the case that I learned what I wanted to learn. I wasn't a scholar. I wasn't a, a, a smart academic, but when I applied myself, I smashed it and it, I yeah. didn't find it difficult because I found it enjoyable. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think in, in saying that with marketing, that the products or services that we engage with, we engage with them on our choice. No one holds a gun to our head and says, buy these jeans or buy this car. We engage with them because we've made a value decision that we like this, you know, mm. for whatever purpose or whatever reason it is. Um, and, and I think that should be more represented throughout education. Mm. We should engage with what we want to learn in. And I think that there is base knowledge that is necessary. Um, but as you get older, certainly you shouldn't stop learning and certainly you should dive deeper into what you're passionate about. Mm. Um, now these days definitely is not difficult to learn. 
uh, because thanks to the internet and technology, we have access to so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I've answered the question. I think maybe I've gone in a roundabout way. Mm. I think people should should passionately learn what they want to learn and, and whether that is in the realm of education and what you're learning as an individual or in the realm of marketing and what you're absorbing as stories that is fit, are fed to you by your environment to stimuli. Um, same thing. We, we filter that. So why not filter education? Mm. Yeah. And you touch on, you know, uh, learning what you want to learn. We have to think differently about education as, as you said, because there's so much out there, you know, we can't possibly once upon a time, there was like a, a set menu and you could, you could go to that <laughs> menu. We can say, all right, this is all there is to know. And we're going to give you the basics for everything that there is to know. And um, you, that's a great start. Off you go, do that. You'll be fine for, for the rest of your life. Now there's so many different directions, so many oh, yeah. um, possibilities. It, uh, we have to kind of rethink this idea that we're going to get everything that we need to know in a, in a 12 year block of, um, of schooling. Mm. So, um, it's, it's scary times, but it's exciting times in terms of education. Um, mm. and I think that education has got a lot to learn from the world of marketing in that they, uh, I've read a book by, um, Seth Godin uh, called this is marketing mm -hmm. and he defines it as uh, marketing is about creating change. And mm -hmm. I just think that's a really great definition. This is about taking um, one person from one state and moving them into another. And so as a, as a coach slash educator, I, I relate, you know, very strongly to that definition. You take someone from one place, move them um, to another. Um, can you tell me like, how do you do that uh, with, uh, with tiny homes, house, house, house line, house line, hoist line. So the two dots above the A make it a hoist instead hoist. of a house. Yeah. Okay. Apparently I don't know German. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do we do that with tiny homes? I'm very fortunate as a salesperson at the moment that, um, with sales and marketing that the trend of tiny homes is so hot at the mm. moment. And it's at that sort of tipping point where it's, trend meets lifestyle and once it meets lifestyle it's sort of stuck yeah um so but because the the lines are so hot and, and busy at the moment i don't have to do a lot of convincing mm. admittedly and, and that's just me being honest um because i think there's enough people out there searching for an alternative yeah uh, my role is to steer them into what that alternative means in terms of what we offer uh and what we do differently than than the next, you know, next large number of tiny house companies that are, are sprouting up. Um, Is there a lot more popping up? There are, there are. I was going to actually make a point before, um, just on back on your, your question about education and marketing. One of the things I remember growing up in the States was going down the cereal aisles in Walmart, uh, which is a big grocery store there in the States. And it's so different to here in Australia. Even here in Australia, you're you if you never had cereal before and someone said, this is the place where you choose your breakfast, there's absolute paralysis because you don't know what to choose. There's that much. Mm. And the same goes for the States. I mean, it's that on, on cocaine almost. I mean, it's just floor to ceiling cereal, different types and flavors and whatnot. Um, and I, one of the things I think about choosing what you get educated about can also be a challenge in that 
you create self-paralysis. How do I choose mm. between this or how do I decipher? And I, I, to add to your point, marketing, marketing's role is to distill that. Yeah. Uh, and, and meet the person where they're at and to listen mm. and, and, and understand what their needs are. And so in, to answer the question there about how I go about educating, I, I first listen to the customer. Uh, one of the first things that I do with anyone who's interested with our tiny, tiny houses is ascertain what their base of knowledge is, what their understanding yeah. is, um, and what their needs are. You'll find that there's a lot of people who don't know a great deal about what they want, um, and it's my job to then funnel them down into choosing something that suits their needs. And then you have mm. the guys who are heavily researched, and we say, you know, well, this is what we offer. Sorry, we don't mm. need that do this and this is our style of building um but yeah i'd say that the best way for for me as a marketer or salesperson with any new leads or customers or even pushing our material to the to the market is listening yes um, so i'm a member on a lot of the community pages for tiny houses here in australia and i consistently go through and and look through what questions people are asking um, about it because understanding what they're researching is then understand uh, for me allows me to understand how best to shape my narrative uh, to help them learn mm. yeah that's good Josh listening it's um sounds so um simple but it's so profound isn't it whether you're starting an education process whether you're starting a marketing process it's what do they actually know and what do they actually want uh, out of mm. this yeah it's key um, this is a question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, and that is, how do you define success? So this podcast is about defining success for different people, but also how can we use education, uh, in inverted commas to scale that success? You know, what does yeah. it mean for you? What's your definition? I mean, to go back to my, your first question, I, I think the answer would have changed in 2012 when mm -hmm. I was sort of entering my career life and where I am now at 2021, 2012 success would have been defined as understanding what I want to achieve in life as in terms of personal development and executing on that. Um, because I think that as I've grown older, even in my late teens, I realized that most 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds still don't hundred percent know uncertainty mm -hmm. what they're doing and so it didn't it wasn't difficult for me early on to realize that's okay mm. and that's not something to lose sleep over um but in saying that it also frees up the motivation to try uh and and i think so you know 2012 me would have said you know having an idea in mind executing that whether it was it whether it defined my life purpose in this all encompassing you know ice cream cone of, of perfection you know that's that's not the case but having having had an idea and executed now the 2021 version of me as a as a father and a husband i think now my focus on and define definition of success would probably be more leaning towards the concept of legacy and not so much legacy as in like my inheritance to my children, but the, the sense of values and tradition that I pass on to them. Yeah. Have I given myself a career framework that allows me to spend time with my kids in an early stage of development of their life that allows them to understand who I am as a person? Mm. Uh, for me, that 
contributes to my success. Mm. Uh, my wife and I have said that both her and I could go down to Sydney or Melbourne where there's a lot more charities. Uh, both of us could earn a lot more money. Uh, we would have, you know, the, the, a more defined career path as such. And this is yeah. what we've invested heavily in for our degrees. And so it's mm. natural for people to pursue that. Um, but for us, lifestyle balance, um, access to family. You know, we have got family, you know, within two, three hours drive, um, access to nature, access to, to friends for the kids whose parents also share similar values as we do. Um, for us, that is the foundation of the legacy. I think that both my wife and I are trying to create. And for mm. me, that's, that's success so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a moving feast, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It keeps changing, but it's a, it's a great definition. And I think a lot of people uh, would agree with that. Um, so what's next on the horizon for you guys? I mean, it's a very <laughs> difficult time to ask that question. I know, but um, you know, is, is Tammy still uh, working in the, the not-for-profit space? She is. She's she's never left the not-for-profit space. I venture to guess that she won't. I mean, that's her skill set, and she's really refining that. Um, for myself, I, I've always had this rule that I never work in the same industry twice. Hmm. Um, so I went from education marketing when I worked in Sydney uh, to not-for-profit marketing to then working in the wine industry and now working in construction with the tiny houses. Um so I like the idea of keeping things fresh. One, it allows me to continue learning and getting paid to learn uh, for, mm. for me, which is great. Uh, but two, um, keeps things, yeah, keeps, keeps things fresh and push it, pushes me to, to, to learn how to, I think it's always going to be, my next step will always be within the realm of business or sales mm -hmm. or marketing, something to that effect. But what that, what that is, whether it's a product or service, whether it's for profit or not, Oh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you still homeschooling? Um, we were last year. So we, we did, we found our older, our eldest uh, child is, um, uh, found a lot of solace in the environment that he's in currently. And mm -hmm. that is at school. Um, yeah, it's a curriculum-based school, but a very alternative curriculum-based school, the nature school, yeah, uh, which is great. Uh, he, I think for, for him, he was wanting to tick a lot of social boxes that both my wife and I probably couldn't facilitate on our own mm. uh, with our jobs at the time. Now that our youngest is a little bit older, it might be something that we could look into down the track. I'm not 100% sure, but we're sort of, we're sort of understanding, we're, well, we're doing our best to understand and observe what the needs and wants are from the kids and, and we'll make a decision based on what we observe. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's nothing's for certain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, um, I love that attitude of you, you just, um, staying open to, to figuring out, uh, out along the way. Often when we think that we've got it all sorted out is when <laughs> take the sharp <laughs> left turn and you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, not doing that anymore. So, um, Josh, it's been good to uh, reconnect with you. I, this podcast is also my excuse for talking to a whole bunch of amazing people that uh, I may not otherwise catch up with. So it's um, really cool to reconnect. Um, thank you for the work that you have done. And, you know, you guys, when I say collectively, are, are still doing out in the world. 
Um, is there is there links that we can uh, share with people for people to you know either donate to Asian Aid or you know get in touch with you guys? Yeah, yeah. So Tammy's work, um, she her their website is asianaid.org.au. Mm -hmm. uh, their work is focused on the Southeast Asian area. Uh, they work in a few countries there. Um, their work is all child focused. So everything that, that uh, enriches the safety and well-being of children, that's what they focus on for their work and that's their output. And uh, they post a fair bit on social media. So you can follow them on Facebook or, or Instagram. Um, and then, yeah, with, with Hoist Lane, our tiny house company, we're active on, on Facebook a fair bit. And uh, yeah, hoistlane.com.au for your interest in tiny houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll put all those links uh, below wherever you're listening to this podcast. Josh, been great to catch up. Thanks for talking. We'll catch up soon. No worries. Cheers, Andrew. And there you have it. Josh Moses, what an inspirational guy. Great to connect with him. Great to catch up. Uh, Josh has a really good understanding of marketing and I think that flows through to his understanding of education as well. Uh, he's done all sorts of different uh, projects over the years, but now working for Hoistline Tiny Homes. I highly encourage you to check out some of the links that we've got below uh, to see some of the amazing products that they have on offer and see if one of those tiny homes is going to be a good fit for you. We're also going to put some links to Asian Aid and Oz Harvest, some of those charities that Josh mentioned here in the podcast, so that you can go and check out the work that they do. And if uh, you feel that you want to get behind some of the work that they do as well, then you can click on some of those links and go and support their cause. All right, that's all from me for today. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast once again. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you go and check out the Lifestyle Design Quiz. You can find that at lifestyledesignquiz.com. It gives you your free personalized report, which includes your strength profile, your focus for growth, and also some specific custom coaching questions to help you get clear on your next steps. All right, hope you're having a fantastic week. That's all from me for today. Bye for now.